most dangerous day game by Richard Connell. Sanger Rainsford woke with a start. As an expert big game hunter, his ears were fine-tuned to pick up the sound of a gunshot. He burst out of his cabin door as his cruise ship chugged and puffed on its way to the Amazon. He could see some lights blinking from Ship Trap Island in the near distance. Shots rang out again, and Rainsford climbed to the guardrail to see if he could get a better look at the island. With a violent shuddering churn, the ship chugged and jolted, shaking Rainsford right off the railing and into the water. The cruise ship continued along its way, so he swam to the nearest safety, Ship Trap Island. He had just made it far enough to the shore to dig in his fingers into the sand, and he collapsed, the sleepless night and long swim finally catching up with him. When he awakened, he had not even opened his eyes when he noticed that something was wrong. He was dry and much too comfortable to be laying on the cold mixture of sand and stones. He was too warm, too comfy, and it made him uncomfortable. But not as much as it should. Still, the shift was enough to quickly pull him out of his grogginess. He slowly crept out his door to discover that he was in a cozy and elegant chateau, and at the bottom of the stairs, at the end of the hall, stood two men. One was tall, massive, and solid as a mountain. One was elegant and composed. The smaller man smiled and approached Rainsford, hand extended. When he spoke, it was with a strong Russian accent. He introduced himself as General Zaroff, and he was so pleased to meet Rainsford. He had read his book on hunting snow leopards in Tibet and was looking forward to discussing big game hunting with him. The two men had an elegant dinner together where Rainsford discovered that the larger man was named Ivan and he was Zaroff's butler. He was mute and used to be a professional interrogator for the great white Tsar. Here Zaroff confides in Rainsfield sorry, Rainsford, that he had been to every continent and hunted every cunning and dangerous beast across the globe. He kept his specimens in his trophy room, which he promised to show to Rainsford later. Zaroff had found that he had conquered nature. His collection was complete, and with it, his purpose had passed. He fell into a deep depression. Food, companionship, and even his beloved hunts gave him no spark anymore. He needed a new challenge, new prey, new game. The problem was that animals always acted on instinct, which made them too predictable, too easy. He needed something that could reason and strategize. Rainsford couldn't believe what Zaroff was building up to. People. He hunted people. Rainsford was skeptical at first. This had to be some kind of prank. What kind of deranged mind would jump from hunting animals to hunting one's own kind? He had to be kidding, but Zaroff just quietly smirked and gestured for Rainsford and Ivan to follow him. He led them to what he called his dungeon. The inside was actually very nice, homing and comfortable. Inside, there were several young men who spoke only Spanish. As an American, Rainsford was able to catch an occasional word, but couldn't follow the conversation. The men all seemed happy and well-fed, and when Zaroff gestured for the biggest and strongest of them to come forward, none of them seemed alarmed, as Ivan led the man away. They closed the door on the surreally cheerful scene, then Zaroff turned to Rainsford. 
I think I need his help with something, he said, shrugging towards the hall where the two big men had vanished. They do not know that he will be helping me with my hunt. They are content to enjoy my hospitality until the arrival of the ship I have contacted on the radio. Here, Zaroff smirked and allowed the silence to stretch. Rainsford's gaze must have pulled him out of his daydreaming of the ca carnage to follow in order to turn to Rainford and asked if he wanted to help him with his hunt of the Spanish man. When Rainsford declined, Zaroff concluded that he must still be tired from his rough night of swimming from a terrible shipwreck. The men parted ways, and Rainsford went up to his room for the night. Still, Rainsford was unable to sleep as each gunshot that rang through the night. How could Zaroff ever think he would participate in this brutality? He would be leaving tomorrow and would be back with the police. This could not continue. In the morning, Zaroff seemed somewhat deflated. He said that the hunt the night before was incredibly disappointing. The man had apparently gone down easily. Zaroff chuckled and shook his head. The last few men in any crew were always the best. By then, they had begun to realize what was really happening. The panic and the planning time made them better game. Rainsford couldn't help but ask whether this had happened before. Zaroff gleefully revealed that he had moved the lights and buoys to, meant to guide ships away from the dangerous rocks around the island. This increased the number of shipwrecks around Ship Trap Island. Go figure. Rainsford felt as though he had been punched in the stomach. How many times had this happened? How many had died? When Rainsford objected, Zaroff turned from a giddy enthusiast to a much colder, defensive tone. He laughed humorlessly. What was wrong with his hunt? Millions of lives were thrown away every day of the war back in Russia. Life was cheap, and only the strong survived. Only the strong deserved to. Why not use human life for his own amusement? Kings and tyrants did it all the time, throwing life away like seeds into a, into a field to settle their own petty squabbles. Trading dispute? War. Royal figures locked in a love triangle? War. Each time the elite were bored, millions had to die. It was the way of the world. Rainsford shook his head. You're a monster. A murderer. And to his surprise, Zaroff laughed. That word implied the morality that the weak hide behind. Rules they tried to impose on the powerful in order to justify their existence and their right to be protected. Life is about survival of the fittest. Like all weak people, the people who crashed here would be completely provided for. Their food, medical care, and comfort were all taken care of by Zaroff. As such, they all had complete faith in him. They even liked him. And by providing so many benefits for them for free, he had complete control over them. And they adored him for it. Until they died. Zaroff would take his selected game into the jungle and give him a hunting knife, hunting clothes, and three days' worth of food. The game would receive a three-hour head start, and then the hunt would begin. The first night, it would be a one-on-one -on -one battle for survival. The second night, he would bring a hound with him, and number three, all of them would be joined by Ivan and the rest of Zaroff's hunting dog pack. Only one victim ever made it to day three, and no one had succeeded in surviving the third day and been permitted to leave the island. Zaroff could see at this point that while they both loved hunting, 
he and Rainsford were not going to see eye to eye on the most dangerous game to hunt. He's very disappointed because he thought the two men would be kindred spirits. Even if he could not convince Rainsford to agree with him on hunting and survival, he needed Rainsford to help him with the hunt and to hunt other men. Otherwise, when Rainsford went home, he would tell the world what was really happening. He might be convinced that he has the right to take the most literal interpretation of survival of the fittest, but even he knew someone in the outside world was bound to disagree. He needed Rainsford to join him, or... or he could... Zara finally catches up to where you and I have always known this was going. The only way to keep Rainsford quiet if he refused to be complicit in this was to shut him up like the sailors. He gave Rainsford the same choice he gives everyone. He can be tortured by Ivan, who torments like it's his job, because it used to be, or he could be the next most dangerous game. One look at the massively huge Ivan and Rainsford knew which choice gave him better odds. He had spent years being a hunter, and now he would be the hunted. Like everyone else, he was given supplies and dumped in the jungle. He spent his three-hour head start well. He wove in and out of the jungle like that kid from the Family Circus comics. He led the most complicated path he possibly could, and when he heard the doors to the chateau open, he scaled the nearest tree and waited, waited, and held his breath. He listened as Zaroff trampled his way through the jungle. He was amazed at how quickly Zaroff followed his complicated trail. Clearly, he was in a whole separate league from the usual wealthy people Rainsford took on big game hunts who couldn't even hike, but wanted to bring home a rare stuffed beast to look like they weren't a low-testosterone soy boy. This guy didn't need Rainsford to bag a big cat for him. He was more than capable on his own. Zaroff quickly found his way under Rainsford's tree, where he lit a cigarette and allowed the burning stench of his eye-watering habit to drift upward for Rainsford to choke on. He knew Rainsford was in that tree. They both knew. And when cigar the cigarette was done, he crushed it under his boot, shook his head, and walked off. The message was clear. Rainsford was going to need to try much harder. As he took in the vines and branches surrounding him, he had an idea. As soon as he was gone, Rainsford got to work using the materials around him. He quickly assembled a trap that he learned from his travels. He kept an ear out, and when he heard the hunter circling back, he quickly scampered back up his tree. Zaroff came back, disappointed that the trail had not changed. He huffed and was just about to end his hunt when, with a snap, he triggered the trap and just had a moment to see the massive log collapsing upon him. Rainsford held his breath, and slowly, Zaroff climbed back up to his feet, popped his heavily bleeding shoulder back into its socket, and, much to Rainsford's horror, Zaroff was actually laughing. Very good, Mr. Rainsford, he chuckled. I need to dress this wound, but we shall continue this tomorrow. Rainsford waited until Zaroff's step footsteps began to fade, then bolted from his tree to the quicksand pitch pits which Zaroff had told him about earlier. He used a tree branch as a spade and dug as hard and as fast as he could. He had just finished putting sharpened sticks into his tiger pit trap when he heard the doors to the chateau releasing his opponent yet again. 
He hid behind a tree as Zaroff and his dog trailed every step that Rainsford had taken up until the trap, when not Zaroff, but the dog, fell into the pit and upon the spikes. Sending a, spending a couple hours on this was all Zaroff was up to for that night, and he said that he was going back for the night and tomorrow would finish their game. He also complimented Rainsford. No game had ever he had ever faced had injured him like this before, nor killed his best hunting dog. He was looking forward to their final showdown. The third day, Rain Zaroff and Ivan emerged with at least a dozen dogs. Fortunately, Ivan triggered his first trap and immediately took a stick slap straight to the face, which would have been funny if his hunting knife hadn't been attached to it, splitting the man's forehead in half. Unfortunately, this meant that Ivan let go of his leashes, and half a dozen vicious hounds were unleashed. He hadn't counted on this, and he ran as hard and as fast as he could to the ocean. On top of the towering ocean cliff, Rainsford stopped and turned to face Zaroff and his dogs. He made eye contact with his fellow hunter, then looked at the roiling, rocky water below. He told Zaroff he had no intention of having his head on Zaroff's trophy wall. And with that, he leapt off the cliff, hurtling dozens of feet towards the rocks below. Zaroff ran to the cliff's edge and watched his eyes scouring the stormy water's surface for Rainsford. But seeing no signs of life, he returned to his chateau dejected. He was not only unsatisfied with the end of the hunt, but he also had to replace Ivan, and he had no trophy for his efforts. It was all so frustrating that when he finished his frustration smoke, he went upstairs to bed. Upon entering his room, however, he found Rainsford, dressed in his clothes, seated comfortably. He smiled. It was faster to swim to the chateau than to hack one's way through the jungle. He had had plenty of time to get all cleaned up. Zaroff congratulated Rainsford on winning the hunt and cheerfully asked if he wanted to replace Ivan. In response, Rainsford leveled one of Zaroff's own guns at him. Ivan grew even more excited as he drew his own weapon, saying he supposed the dogs could eat again tonight. A single shot rang out on the dark island, and Rainsford snuggled in to appreciate how comfy Zaroff's bed was. This story is always kind of creepy, just because uh, Zaroff is so incredibly gleeful about the horrible, horrible things he's doing. It's also a creepy, kind of ambiguous ending. It really doesn't tell us what Rainsford does from here, and a lot of people who analyze this story analyze that he, he sets the people in the dungeon free, even though those people still are really, really affectionate towards Zaroff, and, uh, you know, that he goes back and lives a nice, normal life. A lot of other people theorize that him putting on Zaroff's clothes and going to bed in his bed symbolizes that he is kind of taking on the mantle of taking up this same most dangerous game role now that Zaroff is gone. And so that's two vastly different interpretations of this same story, and the story does not clarify either one. So it's up to your interpretation. It seems like nearly every action series takes a stab at doing a most dangerous game episode, from Criminal Minds to Clone Wars. But, I think the best modern version of the story I've seen stars Liam Hemsworth, that's 
Thor's brother, Chris Hemsworth's brother, and uh, it had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. It was definitely a great modern interpretation of how somebody could pull off something similarly to this. It's funny because in all of these classic old stories, in order to perform an act of horror like this, you would need to be on a jungle or an island far away from everybody else, whereas here... It takes place, I believe, in New York City, which, kind of like person of interest, makes a little more sense because with that many people around, you're just one more bit of white noise, kind of. You know, you just kind of blend in, no matter how horrible what you're doing is, because in big cities like that, so much horrible stuff is happening that you're just, you don't even make a blip in the radar, right? It's definitely worth a watch. It's a great movie. I don't recall if there's any strong language in it, so I would watch it before you watch it with your kids. But, like I said, it's it's very intense, and really the short story is also very intense, so it's, it's a great fit. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy the rest of Spooky Season.